Young. Appreciate that. Let's stand together this morning. I'll read scripture after, after a bit. I'm going to ask the Lord's blessing on this part of the service. Dear Lord, we come to you this morning. Thankful, dear Lord, to be here in your house. And we've come, dear Lord, to receive from your hand. I pray, dear Lord, that this service this morning will inspire our hearts. I pray, dear Lord, that our time together will strengthen our faith. Help us, dear Lord, to focus more attention onto the things that are eternal, the things that are really invisible but are more foundational in our lives than anything we see. I pray, dear Lord, you'll take the words this morning. I pray, dear Lord, the Holy Spirit will work in this time. We ask all these favors in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated for the message. And Roman, I may have gotten that wrong. Tom told me that your grandmother's brother passed away. Uh, so sorry about that. But like I said, if you let me know a little before service, it'll certainly help. I have hearing aids, but if I turn them way up so I can hear everything, uh, there's too many sounds that get into them and it uh, becomes uh, an annoyance. Uh, so I might be able to hear things you're whispering to your friend uh, and that might be embarrassing to you. Uh, so uh, yeah, let's try to solve that problem. Uh, so it happened every Friday evening almost without fail when the sun resembled a giant orange and was starting to dip into the blue, into the blue ocean. Old Ed came strolling along the beach to his favorite pier. Clutched in his bony hand was a bucket of shrimp. Ed walks out to the end of the pier where it seems he almost has the world to himself. The glow of the sun is a golden bronze now. Before long, however, he is no longer alone. Up in the sky, a thousand white dots come screeching and squawking, winging their way toward that lanky frame standing there on the end of the pier. Before long, dozens of seagulls have enveloped him, their wings fluttering and flapping wildly. And Ed stands there, tossing shrimp to the hungry birds. As he does, if you listen closely, you can hear him say with a smile, thank you, thank you. In a few short minutes, the bucket is empty. But Ed doesn't leave. He stands there lost in thought, as though transported to another time and place. Old folks often do strange things, at least in the eyes of boomers and busters. Most of them would probably write old Ed off down there in Florida. That's too bad. They'd do well to know him better. His full name is Eddie Rickenbacker. He was a famous World War I and then was in World War II. On one of his flying missions across the Pacific, he and his seven-member crew went down. Miraculously, all the men survived the crash landing on the water, crawled out of their plane, and climbed into a life raft. Those words were written by 
well-known author Max Licato. And some misunderstanding seems to surface when the story is told. And as I recount this story, I'm not giving it as an absolute definite uh, miracle, but it seems that the miraculous was involved. And when I tell this, I do not elevate Eddie Rickenbacker or the other six that were with him uh, to the status of devout Christians, but it appears that they did give honor to God and they did ask for his help and it appears that God gave them his help. And so if you would like to read more about Eddie Rickenbacker and does that name ring a bell with you, Rickenbacker? What do you think of? Yeah, I see the older folks nodding their head. The young people have no clue. Uh, do you, did you ever hear of Rickenbacker Air Force Base on the edge of Columbus? It's named after Eddie Rickenbacker. Eddie was a, a flying ace in World War I. Uh, he was a decorated hero because he shot down so many enemy planes. And then, after World War I, he was asked by the military to go on a mission and to evaluate the Army Air Patrol in the Pacific. So we're talking about approximately a year after Pearl Harbor he was asked to go. So this story that we're talking about did not take place during his mission as an ace pilot in World War I. It is, it is situated in the 40s, in the 1940s. And we are told that he was sent on a mission, he and, and a crew, uh, to go out in the Pacific over into the islands, um, Australia uh, and, and uh, Guadalcanal and to evaluate. They took off in what was called the Flying Fortress and I can't give all the details of this but if you want to look on the internet you can read a story that's, built, that's written there by Billy Ray that was printed in 2004 and it's from the World War II journal. And so I looked at that to authenticate it because there were many comments that were given on this story that I just read to you. Uh, so it's quite interesting. Has any, have any of you ever read on Eddie Rickenbacker? Okay, and I thought you might. And so it's amazing history, isn't it, uh, folks, about Eddie Rick Rickenbacker. Uh, so uh, we are told that when they, when they flew in this, in this flying fortress, as it was called, they had, they had uh, secret documents, they had, uh, they, they had various materials that had to do with their mission of evaluation. And uh, somewhere or another, one of the orbiting, one of the, one of the, uh, plotting instruments of the aircraft didn't do its job for whatever happened. Uh, they were flying out 
and they couldn't find the island that they were supposed to come down on. And they tried maneuvering different ways and could not, could not locate it. The pilot announced to Eddie Rickenbacker, who was now in his 50s, uh, that they were going to run out of fuel. They could not find land. He could not find land. And so uh, they gathered everything together for survival they could think of. They filled, they filled bottles with water, thermoses with water. Uh, Eddie got 60 feet of rope. They had uh, uh, one man put fishing line in his pocket. Uh, another uh, had stuffed four oranges into his vest. And they had inflatable rafts that were in the aircraft, three inflatable rafts. And so they prepared everything to crash into the Pacific Ocean. And finally, the pilot said, we are 50 feet from the water, and the engine quit. And the pilot set it down. The big plane glided up on a wave. And instead of sinking immediately because of the skill of the pilot and because of good fortune, the plane stayed afloat for a little bit, gave them time. Uh, instead of 30 seconds, uh, gave them time to deploy the rafts. The ocean was, was raging. It was over six-foot waves that they went out into. Uh, when they got in the rafts and... Uh, one, one of the men had had uh, time in the hospital, a sergeant. Uh, that he needed extra help, and he actually did not survive the time that uh, they were on the ocean, which was over 20 days. And uh, so uh, the others did survive. But when they got in the rafts and when, when they were floating on the ocean, uh, they found out that all the water that they had bottled up to bring was gone. It had been swept away when the plane crashed. Uh, they, they didn't have anything except they did have uh, a testament. They did have uh, the other things that I mentioned to you. They had Some of them had uh, full clothes on. Eddie had a tie on, the coat on. Uh, hat, uh, and so uh, they're they're in the they're in the raft, and of course uh, they tied the rope that Eddie got, so the raft stayed together, and so they would have each other for support. Uh, Twenty feet links between each raft of the three rafts, and. So you can imagine out there with no land in sight, uh, no, uh, no ship in sight, no help from any direction, and they're bobbing in the water, and then they realize they don't have any water, they don't have any food except this one guy that put four oranges into his, into his vest. And so uh, they... They went through the rigors of that day, and that night was horrific with 
sharks all about them, uh, sometimes bumping into their rafts, uh, and, and no water, and no food except those oranges. Well, they started using the oranges. They made the oranges last for eight days. Seven guys, four oranges for eight days. Not very good eating. And we're told then that when the oranges were gone, uh, that uh, they were very despondent. Uh, they didn't know what they were going to do in order to survive. Uh, the oranges had had a little bit of moisture in them. You know you can't live very long without water. Uh, somehow they had made it to that point. The sergeant uh, that uh, had uh, been in the hospital previously was, was sinking. And we are told that uh, they had uh, prayer services. They sang hymns. Uh, so whether or not you want to say this is a... a miracle of God, I think God was consulted on it. Uh, they, I don't know what hymns they sang. I know everything they had to say to one another did not sound very Christian because Eddie Rick, Rickenbacker tried to aggravate the men, tried to, tried to stir them up, to give them a will to keep going even when things were very low. He would agitate. Some of the men thought they talked among themselves. They wanted to survive uh, just to be alive to throw Eddie Rickenbacker in the ocean at the end of all of it uh, because he had gotten so under their skin. But we're told that after eight days with no food now, everything became very glum. And then I'll go back to read you uh, what... Max Licato wrote, uh, he said, uh, they floated for days on the rough waters of the Pacific. They fought the sun, they fought sharks. Most of all, they fought hunger and thirst. By the eighth day, their rations ran out, no food, no water. They were hundreds of miles from land and no one knew where they were or even if they were alive. Every day across America, Millions wondered and prayed that Eddie Rickenbacker might somehow be found alive. The men adrift needed a miracle. That afternoon, they had a simple devotional service and prayed for a miracle. They tried to nap. Eddie leaned back in the rubber raft that he was in, pulled his military cap over his nose. Time dragged on. All he could hear was the slap of the waves against the raft. Suddenly, Eddie felt something land on the top of his cap. It was a seagull. Old Ed would later describe how he sat perfectly still, planning his next move. With a flash of his hand and a squawk from the gall, he managed to grab it and wring its neck. He tore the feathers off and he and his starving crew made a meal of it, a very slight meal for eight men. Then they used the intestines for bait. <coughs> With it, they caught fish, which gave them food and more bait. 
and the cycle continued. With that simple survival technique, they were able to endure the weak rigors of the sea until they were found and rescued after 24 days at sea. Eddie Rickenbacker lived many years beyond that ordeal, but he never forgot the sacrifice of that first life-giving seagull, and he never stopped saying, thank you. That's why almost every Friday night, he would walk to the end of the pier with a bucket full of shrimp and a heart full of gratitude. And so the story is quite involved, and uh, they had... They had gone out of the aircraft with pistols and the salt made them worthless. They finally just threw them overboard. Uh, they didn't have anything except their survival knives and, and then the goodness and graciousness of the dear Lord. Told one time about how sharks were chasing a school of mackerel and the mackerel actually jumped into their raft, into their rafts and gave them food to keep going. And so all of them survived except one who was buried at sea. Uh, but uh, certainly would appear that it was a miracle of God that that seagull came at just the right time. And I've had a lot of seagulls fly around me, but I never had one land on me. But God supplied the need. And they had been praying and asking for God's blessing and God's help. So we're looking at scripture now in the book of Matthew. We're looking at Matthew chapter 17 and verse 24. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? He saith, Yes. And when he was come into the house, Jesus prevented him or confronted him, saying, what thinkest thou, Simon, of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute, of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, then are the children free? Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast an hook into, and cast a hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take and give unto them for me and thee. And so we have the amazing story of the tribute money being paid from the directions of Jesus. How did Jesus know that when Peter took a hook, you know, Peter did all the fishing we have seen to this point. He did with a net, didn't he? Uh, he was fishing with a net. His family made their living off of catching the fish out of the Sea of Galilee and salting them and selling them. But here Jesus tells him to take a hook and go. We don't know what bait he used, but whatever bait he used, Jesus said, the first fish you catch, open his mouth. You ever think, where did that fish get that money? Where did that fish get that money? Could there have been some Pharisee that was out there and lost money and maybe 
as, as he was contemplating it. Uh, he knew he couldn't retrieve it. I don't know if you've ever tried to get something out of the water once you've dropped it down into a deep pool of water. If it's a lake, if it's a muddy farm pond, whatever it is, you figure it's gone. It's gone. But God had that fish there at just the right time, didn't he? And God somehow caused that fish to want that money in its mouth. It hadn't even digested it or swallowed it. It was just in its mouth. We're told that these people that collected tribute were not collecting it for the Roman government. This was not a Roman tax, but it was for the service of the temple. It was paid by Jewish males 20 years of age and older annually. Every year they were supposed to pay this amount for the upkeep of the temple. And back in the book of Exodus chapter 30, it says it was for the ransom of their souls. And you can read that in Exodus chapter 30, verses 12 to 16. It says there a half a shekel. In, in the New Testament, it would, it would have been two drachma, or two days wages for the common laborer. So it wasn't like it was nothing, but it, it did take some of their livelihood to support the work. And the point is taken that if Jesus gave this, then we ought to support the work of God too. We ought to be involved also. But beyond that, Jesus did not need any re redemption for his soul. He was certainly not a sinner, but he was one who was under the law when he came. He made himself like his Jewish kinfolk. And so uh, those about him saw that he was a person who was respected and who did his part to support and help, even though he could say, I, I don't really need to do this. I'm above this. And we know that is what happened when he came to John to be baptized. John said, John the baptizer said, you ought to be baptizing me. And Jesus said, no, you baptize me so that we can fulfill all righteousness. He made himself just like us, folks. He came into this world as the Son of God, God the Son, but he fully participated in mankind's problems and needs and challenges. And so we see him complying, and he sends Peter. I wonder what Peter looked like when he went. He had to believe, but he had to obey, didn't he? He had to believe. He didn't say, oh, Jesus, that's not going to work. That's not going to happen. He had to believe. Uh, how about miracles? Does God still perform miracles? Yes, he does. We do not live by miracles, but how wonderful when God chooses to send a miracle into our lives. When God sets aside what we naturally would expect to happen and something intervenes and it goes a different way, and that can be applied to many areas of life, 
oftentimes, I think we sell God short because we fail to see the miraculous in what he is doing about us and his provision and his care in everyday things that he is watchful over his people and he is there for our good and for our benefit. And so Peter caught the fish and uh, Jesus had told him, cast the hook, take the first fish that cometh up. Uh, aren't you glad Peter didn't have to stay there all day trying to get the right fish? Uh, the first fish, when you've opened his mouth, you'll find a piece of money. And when you do, I'm going to pay your tax too, Peter. I'm going to take care of you. It'll be for you and I both. We know that Jesus was the poorest of men. The scripture says that though he was rich, yet he became poor for our sakes that we might be made rich unto God. So Jesus gave him himself and suffered all the privations of poverty. So nobody can say that Jesus doesn't understand what we're going through and what we feel. But we have a Savior that loves us and cares for us. At one point, the Pharisees said to him, Show us, show us a sign or show us a miracle. Do something. Uh, Moses brought bread down from heaven. Well, Jesus had fed multitudes. Uh, Jesus had shown his power off times, but he wasn't going to put on a show. He wasn't going to do a, what would be looked at as a magic show. Look at, look at the power Jesus has. At one point, the people were going to take him by force because he wasn't dependent on harvest in order to feed a multitude, he had the power to multiply the loaves and fishes and feed thousands. And so how could you have a better leader than one that could do that with food? But Jesus said when they asked for a sign, when they wanted him to put a show on, he said an evil and adulterous generation looks for a sign. But I'm going to give you one sign, and that is the sign of Jonah. And that is that as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, the Son of Man is going to be in the heart of the earth. And that is the promise given to us that Jesus died as he said he would. He gave his life for us. And that as he did that, the scripture tells us that in three days he defeated the tomb and he came out. And so our great miracle today is that we serve a risen Savior, folks. He's in the world today. And what we need to do is believe in the miracle that has already taken place, and that is the miracle of the resurrection, the miracle that Jesus performed when he gave his life on the cross for us and defeated our arch enemy, Satan, and death that plagued the human race. So we praise God this morning. God is a God of miracles. And many things could be given. And some time ago I preached a message on some miracles that had been written about. Uh, so some of those things linger in our minds. But we need to remember God is able for our need. He doesn't always do what we expect. 
but sometimes he does far beyond anything that we could ever contemplate or expect of him. So praise God that he is alive this morning, that we have a living Savior. Will you stand with me this morning? <clears throat> Ask you to bow your heads. <clears throat> if you have a need of prayer, the altar is certainly open for you. And we invite you to come at this time if you have a need and bring it to Jesus. <clears throat> he can work a miracle in your life. The scripture tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but God has given us a sound mind. God has, has given us assurance of his presence. And so as we live in fearful times, many people are very afraid today. Folks, Christians have faced many terrible things. And one of the things that hallmarks Christianity is when we know that Jesus is our Savior, that whatever comes our way, we know he's there for us and he's there with us. And he can strengthen us and help us to be brave and bold not stupid, but brave and bold and confident that he's able to keep us. Lord, we've waited for a moment this morning for any that have need. I pray, dear Lord, that the words of the message will echo in our hearts and lives. Lord, we know there are people that would look, even as we read on the internet, about Eddie Rickenbacker. There were a lot of naysayers. There were dozens. There were people that didn't know any of the facts that were ready to throw the stones and say, oh, Rickenbacker, he was a World War I. He didn't have anything to do with World War II. Uh, uninformed and ignorant. Lord, we deal with a lot of people today that don't know the Word of God, don't know the power of God, do not want to look through eyes of faith at what God can do and what He has done. Help us not to be in that crowd. Help us to be people that look at the word, believe the word, that know that we serve a miracle-working Savior, a Jesus who is able for every one of our needs and able to take us to heaven when this life is over. I pray you'll strengthen our faith, strengthen our resolve to be faithful to you. Have your hand on us and help us to be a blessing to those that are round about us and point them to the Savior. Bless our time of fellowship, our time of food together. We pray your blessings on the food upon those, dear Lord, that are working even now to make things ready for us. Bless our fellowship. And Lord, I pray that in all things, we will show the love of God in our lives. And I ask, dear Lord, all these favors in Jesus' precious name. Amen.